of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we're bringing you baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be telling them. That's right. That's correct. That's right. And I'm bringing some fucking heat today. Are you? Yeah, you've been <laughs> hyping this up for a couple of days. You better not let me down. Uh, all I can say is, is I'm so excited for two reasons. One is... This story is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. And two, we have a guest with us today. Yes. Tell us about the guest, Sean. Uh, well, it's a Sean. It's Sean and Sean and Ed's do baseball. Sean today. and Sean and Ed's do baseball today. We have Sean Smith with us coming to you uh, from the wonderful city of Hamilton. And he has a wonderful, wonderful sub stack that he has launched called Junk Ball Lovers Club uh, so you can find that at junkballloversclub.substack.com. Sean, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. We're super excited. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Yeah. Are you ready for, for a little bit of baseball history? I'm really excited. You, you were saying how you had been hyping it up. You also were hyping it up to me. So I'm really excited to see where this goes and, and to talk about it with you guys. Sweet. Well, first... Let's talk about you. Uh, tell us about your, your, your baseball newsletter that, that you've just started. It's super interesting. I've had a chance to read a couple. Uh, tell us where we can find it and, and what you'll be bringing everybody. Yeah, so like you said, it's called Junk Ball Lovers Club. It's junkballloversclub.substack.com. And I really want to focus on kind of the, the quirky, interesting, kind of weird, beautiful things about baseball, which is a little bit what you guys do as well, where you know it's less stats-focused and more about interesting stories. So I'm trying to do that as well, bring in some kind of literature prose kind of parts of it and just focus on like the weird things that happen during a baseball season. Oh, so if you're into that kind of thing, I think uh, that's, that's awesome. I, 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 I can't wait to sign up now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, I think we're going to be two of your biggest fans, uh, <laughs> just based on that description alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah, weird baseball stuff is what we do here. Uh, so just one more time, let's selfishly, where can they find it? It's junkballloversclub.substack.com. Amazing. Amazing. And, and where can they find you on, uh, on the Twitter? Do, do you lurk on there? Yes, I sure do. It's junk underscore baller. So junk baller, <laughs> junk underscore baller. You can follow me on Twitter. And, and what's your profile picture? Just so everybody knows. Oh, it's Tom Hankey, of course, the oh, Terminator. The Terminator. The Terminator. Uh, Blue Jays legend. Yes. We are all huge Blue Jays fans here, if you can't tell from listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes, if it's your first time. If it's your first time. But whatever. <laughs> uh, we have no Blue Jays content today. Uh, but we, <laughs> we're we going to be talking about uh, a different kind of a different kind of subject let's say we're going way back but before we go way back follow us on twitter at doing baseball edzy instagram at is doing dot baseball all right that's what we do um <laughs> <laughs> it's on uh, spotify apple podcasts and of course podbean and of course thank you for listening yes actually we did get an email months ago that Wait, yes we finally did. checked our email <laughs> so that i could create this account so i could talk to you sean and i want to thank 
feed spot for putting us at number nine on their list of top 25 baseball history podcasts. Woo! <laughs> we made a top 25 list Rich. of a niche, mm-hmm. niche, niche, niche subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, there, there is a fair amount of baseball history podcasts, so it is an accomplishment. Like, you're definitely not the only one covering baseball history. Like, obviously, you have your own spin on it, but there's, there actually is quite a few of them. I, I will say not to like toot our own horn, but like there are a, there were a few podcasts that I was surprised to be ranked above. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we're awesome, and that was in November, so we probably are better now. We're probably number one by now. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into this story because this is going to be a long one. I, I can already tell uh, by the uh, just how much fun we're already having here. So, <laughs> dear God. Strap yourselves in. Um, Edzie, this might be your great-great-uncle. I don't know. Why do you say that? Well, your mother's family, uh, their last name is Sweeney, That's correct? correct? Yes. That's correct. So today, we're talking about a man who holds records both good and bad in the game of baseball. A man that managed to accomplish such feats, good and bad, in a very, very short period of time and was part of the greatest two-man rotation in baseball history. Okay. Two-man rotation. We have talked about him before on this. Yep. I just saw your face light up. Okay. The drunk guy. The drunk guy. <laughs> so, you got to be more specific with baseball history. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah. you go back to episode 12 of our podcast, you'll hear Edzie briefly discuss this man while talking about old Hoss Radburn. So today we are talking about the short career and life of pitcher and general drunk asshole Charlie Sweeney. Oh, Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie. (laughs) Not to be confused with famous 20th century mercenary Charles Sweeney, but fun fact, they were both born in San Francisco and both loved to shoot things. Okay. Hmm. So, 20th century mercenary. Yep. All right. Yep. That so, guy doesn't come back up again? No, he doesn't. Okay, he doesn't. Just it's to... just, it got confusing <laughs> researching it because you'd right. be reading and you're like, what? Imagine there'd be several articles on a famous 20th century mercenary as well. So well you would I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I guess it would be, yeah, yeah, 20th century mercenary. Yeah, because it's late. Yeah, he lived longer than our guy. Right. Anyway, so our Charlie was born in April 13th, 1863. His parents were. Edward, right there, and Mary Sweetie, uh, they were Irish immigrants who landed in New York in 1850 before setting out to California. Charlie had nine brothers and sisters, all of whom received little schooling. Charlie's father, Edward, worked as a police officer in San Francisco and by most accounts used his power and authority to get drunk and beat people up on the job and at home. As you would. We still see some people do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Drunk police officers with a history of domestic violence, people. (laughs) Not that that rare. Not that rare. (laughs) No. (laughs) Anyways, so um, uh, he also uh, had a room, or had a room, had a role in a barroom brawl in June 1874 uh, where charges were filed against him. So he was a drunk cop that got arrested on 
more than one occasion. So just probably did again, it not that rare. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They were like, okay, unfortunately you're fired, but we'll get you a job just outside of town. <laughs> I always think about like how bad you have to be to get like arrested for something in the 1800s. Like there's no video, oh, there's no DNA. Yeah. Oh my you, God. You have to almost be caught in the action of like <laughs> being a drunk belligerent cop beating the shit out of people in a bar yeah. to like get charged with that because or else you could just be like, I didn't do it. And then it's like, well, there's no proof. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't think you know how much of this story you just touched upon <laughs> by that observation. Episode's over. <laughs> <laughs> that is basically the lesson of this episode. <laughs> I was thinking about like in like the old movies, like they do a chalk line of the body. It's just like, well, that's not doing anything. Like, that's your evidence. There like, it is. Okay. That's how it fell. It so, justifies our job. That's also how most police work works. Yeah. Down and bring the chalk. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the apple would not fall far from the tree. But that is what Charlie had to deal with at home growing up. So he spent a lot of his time in the sand lots of San Fran learning the game of baseball. And he played it harder and better than any other kid in San Francisco. Okay. So he was a pitcher, but he was not just a pitcher. He played outfield as well. Uh, and he was a he was a decent hitter. So he was a big kid at 17. He was quite large, especially for the day, standing at 5'11 and weighing 180 pounds. So... Later, it would be said, no one threw harder and no one had a more wicked curveball in the 1880s than Charlie Sweeney. Okay. I'd be interested to know how popular baseball was in San Francisco in the 1880s, because I always think back then of baseball being much more of a, like an East Coast thing. Oh, you know, As the leagues were starting to develop, but right. and then, and like, he, they didn't it, really have proteins over there until quite a bit later. Well... well Sorry, Go let me ahead. let me interject. Is a part of this story too? Is 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 a lot about the, you know the westward expansion. It's not about that at all. But but we, a time and time again, you guys are going to hear about people coming from New York to San Francisco, right? Right. So that's how it began to be popularized out they there. Brought the game with them. Yeah, and you and you'll see there there's uh, there's at this well not at this point well yeah pretty much at this point he's seventeen because uh, he's about to start his pro career, so. There is some leagues popping up around California at this point. I was okay. I was going to add that, like to what Sean was saying, there's probably not a a whole lot though, because um, in the Spalding episode we talked about how when Spalding yes. went there around 1900, yeah. all the East Coast newspapers were writing about how he was leaving, you know, basically the world of baseball and you know going to San Diego, which was kind of like going to the moon at that time, you know. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, because there was no pro teams. Like, there was right. no recognized National League teams out there at the time. There was no American Association right. teams out there at the time. Um, not for a while. Still, not for right? a while like, right. still, right? We talk a lot about the Pacific Coast League, which which pops up, uh, <laughs> it, I think, in the, the 1920s and, and becomes a pretty good league up until Major League expands out there. Um, but, but that's still 40 years after this. Exactly. So this is yeah. this is the Wild West, literally, and baseball is still a new thing. But in 1881, at the young age of 17, uh, he 
Charlie Sweeney signs a contract with the San Francisco Athletics of the California League. He played first base and outfield on top of pitching, and by the sounds of it, his talent shone through, but he was fairly raw. So an article in the San Francisco Chronicle on March 18th, 1881, basically said, Sweeney was good, but he lacked the insight that experience gives a player. So... He's a he's a yeah. prospect essentially. Probably he's got the raw tools, but he's not fine <laughs> yet. I don't know if he was drinking yet at this point, Edzie, no. but we'll get to that. Um, I feel like in the 1880s, people are drinking. Okay, all right. He's 17. He's he should be married with His five kids by now. <laughs> His name is yeah. Sweet. Yes, yes. He's like middle aged here. <laughs> yeah. Once again, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, so the following season, he played uh, again the California League, but this time for three different San Francisco teams. He played for the Athletics and the Renos, but he also played for the Neantics, which is a weird name. Neantics, N-I-A-N-T-I-C-S. I hope I said that right. Where so he he played first base uh, and and also pitched part time in the eight. 1883 season. So on May 13th, 1883, we are going to experience one of many incidents uh, with Charlie Sweeney. So the Neantics would lose 21 to two to the Haverleys. Sweeney gave up eight runs in the third and was petulant when he was moved off the mound to second base. And in the fifth inning, he refused to take the field. So at this point in baseball, if you have a player that refuses to take the field, you can't replace him. You have to play with eight guys for the rest of the game. There's no bench there. There's right? no there's bench. Really not like yeah. 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 So they get absolutely smoked, and he just walks yeah. off. Not for you're the already game. getting your ass kicked, yeah. and now your one player is just like, I'm not playing. Today, yeah. So. so he just straight up quits the team. He just walks off, and he's just like, screw it. I'm done. So on May 25th of the 1883 season, the California League voted unanimously to ban Sweeney for dishonorable conduct, which is kind of funny uh, <laughs> because he quit, essentially. And by the time this ruling was cu- came down, he was on the other side of the country. So he wasn't right. But crazy. also that like he's like, I quit. And they're like, no, you're fired. Yeah. Like, I already quit. So. But, but now he's banned, right? He, he can't play for right. any team. He can't. He can't play right. for. But we'll get to it because he can. <laughs> he can. Anyway, so it's kind of funny uh, that they banned him. Uh, so, okay, let's get back here. It's kind of funny that they banned him before. Uh, before the game even finished, he refused to return, and he was already on the other side of the country. I already said that. Considering uh, what he was about to achieve on the mound, I'm sure the charges were true. So part of the charges was like when he pitched the, to start the game, he didn't he didn't care, and he was just lobbing it in there for guys to smash it. Um, so. But Sweeney's a good pitcher, as we're about to see. So Sweeney would turn up on the opposite coast of the U.S., playing in, on baseball's biggest stage with the Providence Grays of the National League. This team was the best of the best at the time, and the Grays' 1883 roster featured numerous stars and more than a couple doing baseball alumni, including Arthur Irwin, Cliff Carroll, and, of course, old Haas Radburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where stack team. stack team, they were a very good team, but they were also a team on the precipice of, of kind of losing everything too. Okay. Uh, management okay. and ownership was kind of mm-hmm. shaky. So I believe right. they won the championship in 81, but you mm-hmm. know, they were mm-hmm. good, but you know, everyone you'll get, well, I'll get well, to I it. I don't want to jump at yeah, maybe I'm don't jumping. jump ahead. Okay, okay. Don't jump Go ahead. ahead. No, I won't. <laughs> this is still before the creation of the American league. Oh yeah. 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 
So the National League and I, and I believe the American Association are kind of the two leagues at the time. I could yeah. be wrong on that. Yeah, National League was like the more superior yes. league, but American Association yes. was right behind them. They offered like the Sunday baseball and you were allowed to drink at the games and oh, stuff. Yeah. So Yeah, different episode, different time. So Radburn... Yeah as we know, was a ridiculous and he'd win 48 games while pitching 648 innings for the Grays in 1883. <laughs> but his switch the pitcher... Orioles barely won 48 games last year. Yeah. <laughs> I love getting a modern day dig in. Especially so, at the Orioles. Oh yeah, 100%. Uh, so his, his switch pitcher uh, at the time, so if you don't know, a switch pitcher uh, is... At the time, they had one main pitcher, and then they'd have a switch pitcher. So this was Lee Richmond, and he had started the season poorly. So the team had decided to sign uh, 20-year-old Sweeney to become the new backup to Old Haas Radbird. Sweeney made his Major League debut on June 11, 1883, against the defending champs, the Chicago White Stockings. He would win his first two games and get praise from the Boston Daily Advertisers, saying, His last ball was pitched as good as his first. So Okay. Consistent. Yeah. Consistent. yeah, and he's 20, right? He's 20 at right. this point. He is young. I can't emphasize how young he is uh, at this point. So his first year in the majors was good, uh, but not great, let's just say, especially when you compare him to old Haas. But he pitched 146 innings over 20 games, including 14 complete games. <laughs> so Things are a little different now. Yeah, yeah. Old, old Haas, for context, had 66 complete games. <laughs> just his arm does not like, fall off on the field. Oh, we get to that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it does. It does. Uh, <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> so he finished the year seven and seven, uh, but he would have finished the year eight and seven. Not that wins matter, but at this time it did. Uh, but an odd doubleheader ended up costing him a win. The Grays were playing in Philadelphia early in the day, then had to head to New York for a second game. Sweeney pitched the first game and the Grays were ahead 11 to nine in the seventh. But then the manager, Harry Wright, pulled the Grays from the field so they could catch the train to New York and the game was forfeited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, boys. We'll get him next time. <laughs> gotta go. We got a train to catch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Grays would end up with a respectable uh, 58 and 40 record. Uh, that was good enough for third place in 1883. But in 1884, Haas and Sweeney and the Grays would dominate the National League. Before that, Sweeney returned to California and played once a week uh, with a few other pros from California. They returned east for spring training, and the talk around town was that the Grays needed to win a title or else the team would fold. So, ooh, so... <laughs> pressure is on. Pressure is on. And at this point, old Haas Radburn was making a $3,000 contract, or had a $3,000 contract. So that's equivalent to about $100,000 in day today's money. So it's a, it's a good salary. It's not what athletes make nowadays, but it is a, it is a good salary. Right. And but when you even compare a hundred thousand with like what athletes made in like the sixties and seventies, it's not, yeah, it's not yeah. that much less. No, no, it's very comparable. I'm sure there's lots of MLB players in the seventies and eighties that made like 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but so old Haas is being a diva. He's the, he's the star of the team 
And during spring training, Haas would complain regularly about his arm, maybe because he pitched 650 innings the year before. That'll do it, yeah. Or maybe because it was exhibition and he just didn't want to pitch. He was just like, no, my arm hurts. Make the kid pitch. (laughs) So I think both are reasonable enough. Yeah, it's probably probably a mixture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, So Sweeney would end up pitching 19 of 23 exhibition games for the Grays in spring training. Uh, no matter the reasons, the strategy worked well for both pitchers, as both would have their best seasons of their career. And the two drunk egomaniacal pitchers would push each other to be better by constantly one-upping each other's achievements, bickering constantly, occasionally fighting, and in the end, bringing a pennant to Providence. Although Sweeney would not be there. (laughs) Yes. Foreshadowing. Yes. So... Radburn is refusing to pitch during spring training for the most part. So the coach gives the ball to Sweeney on opening day, <laughs> which is I a odd you, move. Well, yeah. Imagine I'm, I'm just trying to think of a, of a, you know, scenario nowadays. Well, I mean, I guess it would be like if the Blue Jays gave the ball to Manoa on opening day. I that think. That's true. Yeah, 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 okay. It's not that bad when you put it in that context. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But yeah, it, it's clearly not the the guy everybody would expect. But He's not the ace. Yeah, he's not yeah. the ace. Um, so uh, Sweeney got the ball on opening day, uh, and Sweeney pitched a gem, but the Grays lost 2-1. to one. Uh, the two pitchers would dominate through May, leading the Grays to a 22-5 and five record before the team allowed another man to throw a pitch. <laughs> so... Jesus. Yeah. Arms are different. Yeah. yeah. Um, No pitch counts or arm conserving back in these days. Yeah. So occasionally they let somebody else pitch, but these guys are their two horses. Uh, On June 7th, Sweeney took the mound against the Boston Bean Eaters in Boston and would set a record not broken for over 100 years. Sweeney pitched the game of his life sitting down 19 Bean Eaters. The most strikeouts in a single game until Roger Clemens got 20 in 1886. And 19. 1986. <laughs> Not quite that old. <laughs> <laughs> 1986. I, I will say there's another guy that, that, that ties his record, but he might be a, a future episode, so I'm not going to say his name. Um, so that's interesting because that was, you said, against the Bean Eaters, and then I think Clemens did it for the Boston Red Sox, right? So, he did. He did. That's right. Interesting kind of synergy there. Yeah, both in Boston, too. So uh, to make this even more impressive, the Bean Eaters and Grays were neck and neck in the pennant race at the time, so they weren't a bad team. And foul balls weren't counted as strikes. <laughs> that, yeah, that does make it quite a bit more interesting. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I've never known about this. Yeah, you you definitely know about it. We've been to the Hall of Fame together. I don't remember we, this. We have, we have, <laughs> I don't know how you've been, 62 episodes, 62 episodes and you Didn't don't know. that the foul ball wasn't a strike. I have the memory of a goldfish, so I, I can relate. <laughs> but I don't Thank know you. when, John. like roughly when did like foul balls and foul lines come into play, I wonder. Well, it's in this time, it's once again, it's a wild west of baseball. Things are things are yes. changing almost on a year. This is actually the first year where you're allowed to throw sidearm instead of underhand, too. Like there is so many things that I did not include. This is 
we're we're just getting our toe wet in this story right now. I don't want to get you too far off. Yeah, yeah. So to make this even more impressive, uh, yeah. So the Boston Globe reported he could give them all and pitch some of the most deceptive curves imaginable. Okay. So I mean, the curveball at that point would have still been a new, fairly yeah, new development, right? Yeah. Because once again, brand new pitch. Not allowed yeah, earlier on, like five years ago, it probably wasn't allowed. Right. Only recently was it that the pitcher was trying to deceive the hitter. You know what I mean? Like before that, I think you were trying to get it over the plate for them to hit it and then have your defense do the work. Well, one but now thing, you're trying to deceive the hitter more. Well, Edzie, Edzie touched upon it in one old episode. I remember that the batter could actually call out whether he wanted a low pitch or a high pitch. And the pitcher had to, right. this is 1870s, 1860s kind of baseball. Yeah. So, right, which is not too far before this. No, no, we're talking it's 15 ama- years, amazing. 10 years, five years ago. Yeah, It's amazing how low like scoring was at that time when like the batters were allowed to basically tell the pitcher where to throw the <laughs> ball for them too. Yeah, yeah, but at this point, now Sweeney and Radburn are just throwing heat and some wicked curves. So... Oh. Oh, a very different ball. Yeah, very different ball. All of this is important, but let's keep this story rolling here. Yeah, so upon upon the team's return that evening, Sweeney was met by cheers at the train station. The team band played and fans hoisted him on their shoulders and carried him down the street in a parade. So wow. Yeah, sport heroes welcome. Yeah, Sporting Life reported the streets were one vast, vast blaze of red fire, and the crowd packed the sidewalks thicker than sardines. So he gets a cheat, like a hero's welcome back in Providence or whatever, like the Raptors parade. Yeah, exactly. So manager Frank Bancroft decided to ride Sweeney after this, uh, after his record-breaking performance, and Sweeney. Uh, would pitch the next two games, but the Grays would lose both uh, 2-0 and 3-1. So, as you mentioned, Sean, this workload started wearing on Sweeney's arm. And as we know from the old Haas episode, when Sweeney had to take an extended period of rest, old Haas used it as leverage to demand more pay for his services in return. So, the team capitulated to old Haas, uh, but this would be far from the most prima donna move he made by a Gray's pitcher or by a Gray's pitcher that year. So on July 16th against Boston again, this time Radbird's pitching and he has a meltdown on the field and the club suspends him. It's in our episode if you so wish to to go back. go go back. But also in our episode, which I'll go into more detail with in this episode. Uh, Charles Sweeney wouldn't allow Old Haas to just steal the show like that. (laughs) So he wanted to have his own drunken meltdown, and he would a week later against Philadelphia. And this would end his time with the Grays. So on July 21st, uh, the Grays played an exhibition game in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and Sweeney was drunk and refused to play. So it's... Yeah, it's an exhibition game. He's just... He's, he's wound-socked up. Yeah, he's, he's, he's wound-socking it up. Um, he was uh, drunk <laughs> before the game. He was drinking during the game, then drunkenly refusing to leave with the team after, wanting to go home with a woman who had accompanied him to the ballpark early in that day. So, it happened. Yeah, exactly. So Sweeney left with the woman and to c- continued to party all night, causing him to sleep in and miss morning practice before the Grays' afternoon game. 
This, the probably still drunk Sweeney, decided to go hair the dog and continue to pound booze throughout the start of the game, ironically against the Philadelphia Quakers. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, yeah. So, Sweeney pitched well. (laughs) Uh, So, the Grays were winning 6-2 in the fifth when Frank... Uh, manager Frank Bancroft sent team captain Joe Start to the mound to relieve his simultaneously drunk and hungover pitcher. Bancroft said he wanted to save Sweeney's arm. Makes sense. Um, But Sweeney refused to give up the ball for two whole innings and went on a drunken expletive tirade when Bancroft came out to the mound to try to take the ball. So basically, eat your heart out, Ted Lilly. (laughs) Charles Sweeney did it first. (laughs) By quite a margin. Yeah. Um, so he was threatened with a $50 fine if he didn't get off the mound, but that caused him to start cursing out Gray's ownership. Again, he refused to leave for two whole innings before finally storming off in the seventh and cursing out team president J. Edward Allen and quitting the team on the spot. Excellent. But... It's huge prima donna tantrum. Yes. No, it gets way better. <laughs> okay. Because Sweeney went to the dressing room, got dressed, grabbed a drink, and watched the rest of the game with a couple of prostitutes in the bleachers. <laughs> I think so. Did he Can find them in the bleachers, or did he? No, no. He showed up with them. Like he got. Oh, okay. He had added one more. Uh, lady to his entourage. I would like uh, to put these ladies of the night on my guest list, yeah, please. He, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Imagine so, a player doing that now. I mean, uh, friends of the room. Yeah. And once again, the team had to play with eight players from the seventh inning on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they lost that game. Um, so the Grays had lost two of their best pitchers in baseball in the Two weeks, basically. And with Sweeney gone, the Grays were forced to renegotiate with Old Haas, who used his leverage to remove the reserve clause from his contract, which is just... (laughs) Unprecedented. Unprecedented, right? Uh, The reserve clause was there for a long time. There'll be an episode. Anyways, but from his contract, he also convinced the Grays that he would get both his and Sweeney's pay. And Haas... Yeah. So Haas comes back and pitches the Grays to a pennant pitching basically okay. every game and this is all because charlie sweeney got shit-faced i mean you can't argue with results i guess <laughs> exactly he's gonna pitch all of his games anyways i guess he's worth his money yes um uh and i have an absolutely amazing quote uh from the evening press that took shots at sweeney blaming him for the team's issues and basically saying you know getting him off that team was what allowed them to win the pennant addition by subtraction yes exactly (laughs) so here we go this is from the evening press i believe it's a rhode island newspaper uh the summer expulsion of sweetie for crookedness seemed to have a salutary effect on wednesday for the purging of the club of such a bad egg resulted in a better class (laughs) of patrons on the grandstand uh, than for many weeks the attendance throughout was better than the management had looked for uh, had looked for after airing of Sweeney's revolt, about 700 being present. So uh, once again, I'm bad at reading quotes. And once again, I just want to say, basically they're blaming him for not just the club's energy and, and cohesiveness, but they're also being like, there's better fans when he's not here. <laughs> so I guess Sweeney was bringing out the worst of, of people to come and party in the, in the grandstands. He's drunk, but so all the drunks come know, out to cheer him. 
<laughs> if there's one thing I know about baseball history, it's that you can be a bad egg and still be an excellent baseball player. Oh, and we have plenty of those who are just terrible, terrible human beings who are oh, excellent at baseball. We're just getting started here. Um, <laughs> yes. So Sweeney, Sweeney sticks. Uh, Okay, wait, did I? Oh, God, yeah, no, I have another evening uh, press quote here. Sorry, I, before I move on. So Sweeney is still about town, and wherever he goes, the woman who he escorted to the game on Tuesday are seen with him. The conduct of this fellow is shameful, and he will regret it when he fully wakes up to its enormity. <laughs> so he's drunk, just wandering oh, around town with these two women, and just uh, it's shameful in the eyes of the 1880s mm-hmm. press. Um, yeah. And remember, he's 21. I was say he's not married. He's 21. He's on top of the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was getting paid a lot of money to play baseball, and obviously he screwed it up. But obviously he's has some alcoholism issues that we're just getting started with. Um, Cause mm-hmm. he wouldn't stick around town for long in true Sweeney style. He didn't give a shit about the reserve clause. Cause once again, even though he's off the team, the Providence grays control his rights. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't give a shit and he's done with the grays. He's done with the national league. His shortened season with the grays had been impressive. Sweeney had an 18 or sorry, a 17 and eight record with a 1.55 ERA in 221 innings. Uh, doing good. Yeah. So other teams were interested in him just to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he found a home and a nice paycheck uh, very quickly, signing with the first place St. Louis Maroons of the Union Association, which is good baseball. It's not, it wouldn't be called Major League Baseball. It's probably a quad A kind of baseball uh, at this time. Uh, By doing so, Sweeney was burning another bridge uh, with another league, and no NL team would be able to sign him uh, because he snuffed the reserve clause. So he's banned from two leagues now. He's 21. He's already banned from two leagues. Bridges left, right, and center. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully there were a lot of leagues back then. Though. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Sweeney's arm uh, actually was revitalized from the break. He, he, oops, excuse me. He had, uh, and he arrived in St. Louis uh, and he finished the year putting up a 24 and seven record over 32 more starts uh, and an additional 271 wow. innings. So this just to total it for you guys, uh, this is his year. Uh, I, I, I'm, can't see it either. I think it's 1884. But anyways, 41-15 and 15, uh, record over 492 innings pitched with a 1.70 ERA. That's his combined record with the Maroons and the Grace. Not too bad. Wow. That was absurd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, he could hit. He had a OPS plus of 145. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways... Uh, I can't believe just how get much hammered drunk and just go out there and I mean, hammer the ball. Get your heart out. Yeah. 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 All right. So uh the Maroons walked away with the pennant. Uh and because of this, they actually were chosen to replace the Cleveland Blues in the National League. Alright. Mm. So the Blues Uh-oh. got I guess they folded. Yes, the Blues folded. Um, and this was a ban from the national. League. Yes. So it's an issue for Sweeney and actually a couple other people right. on St. Louis as they had been blacklisted from the national league. So the St. Louis owners would spend more than a month trying to convince the other owners to remove players from the blacklist. So he could field a half decent team. So right. it came down to the wire 
But in April, an agreement was reached and Sweeney was given the okay to pitch once again in the National League. So, once again, talent talent trumps all. (laughs) Some things don't change. Exactly. Exactly. So despite overcoming this obstacle, uh, 1885 would be not a great year for Sweeney or the St. Louis Maroons. Uh, but it started well. He was, uh, they won three to two on April 30th, 1885. Uh, two weeks later, Sweeney made his return to Rhode Island and beat his old team and old Haas Radburn eight to two. So he gets his redemption, so much redemption. Um, the success was short lived though, as Sweeney's arm is beginning to fail him. He's 22 years old. Uh, yeah. (laughs) The team was really bad. They finished 36 and 72 and Sweeney's record on the year was 11 and 21 and his ERA was just under four, which at the time is probably a little bit closer to somebody having an ERA just under five or just over five nowadays. And you have to consider that in the context of the time, like pitcher wins were everything. Oh yeah. Like and it stayed that way for the next hundred years or so where like we were so dependent on pitcher wins to just, yeah, like, decide what we thought of a pitcher. So to go 36 and 72, like it's, it's a terrible look. Yeah. So things hit a real low uh, in August. Uh, Buffalo lit up Sweeney for 23 hits in a 14 to three victory. Uh, like for Buffalo, obviously Sweeney lost. Uh, still, even uh, with his arm falling off, Sweeney continued to pitch till the end of the year and somehow increased how much he was drinking and partying as well. So <laughs> Sweeney uh, was becoming less impressive on the field and he was becoming more of a drunk bully uh, on the field and off of it, uh, which would end lead to the end of his major league career. Uh, basically, he began feuding with teammates and the altercations became physical teammates often siding against Charlie. Weak hitting Emmett Siri seemed to get the worst of it from Sweeney, and in an exhibition season, in the exhibition season after uh, the 1885 regular season, the two came to blows. And from what I read, it sounds like Sweeney just sucker punched him, and everyone was mad at Sweeney. <laughs> well, he was Fair a pretty enough, big yeah. guy too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and yeah. and Siri's not. <laughs> so once again, he's being shitty. Uh, Sweeney still returned to the Maroons in 1886, uh, with a hefty $3,000 contract. Uh, same as old Haas was getting like two years ago. Um, but things would not work out at all. I capitalized that. So I should emphasize it in 1886. <laughs> uh, he started out with a nine to two loss in the season opener to the Detroit Wolverines. And that was though not even close to the worst beating the Wolverines would give him that year. Uh, the team once again sucked and Sweeney was still a pariah. Sweeney continued to bully poor Emmett Siri and get shit faced regularly in mid May as Sweeney walked home, uh, from, from, from the field, uh, five thugs followed him and beat the crap out of Sweeney. They were possibly friends of Siri or possibly they were looking for another ball player. Uh, but no matter what, Different uh, world, man. yeah, no. And this is really bad, really bad because Charles Sweeney is fine or Charlie Sweeney's he's fine. And you know what? He does what any rational, drunk, freedom-loving American man would do. 
like that. He shoots him. <laughs> he goes out and buys a gun. Okay. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah. Party's on now. Yes, and and at this time, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not so easy probably as it is now. So he had his permit granted to him by St. Louis Mayor David Francis himself, which I can't stress enough how much danger the mayor of St. Louis put his constituents in by signing this this permit for for Charlie Sweeney. Like honestly, just terrible things happen. Now do you think though that he didn't know that Charles was a drunk or that Charles was such a superstar that he kind of oh. fell again. Oh, I am sure the mayor was stoked to meet Charlie Sweetie and and sign yeah, okay, yeah. sign his permit. <laughs> yeah. And be like, oh yeah, take care of yourself, Charlie, and win that game. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit yeah. drunk and crazy, but have you seen me pitch? <laughs> yeah. I think a gun is the perfect thing to give this man. <laughs> he can't walk straight, but here's a gun. Yeah. He's got bullets in his arm and bullets on his hip. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so this is later, much later, but this is a quote from the Sporting News to give you guys some context if I haven't already. Ever since that, talking about the incident where he got beat up, he has gone around carrying a small arsenal in his rear pocket, and on several occasions has seen fit to flourish his weapon and threaten to let daylight out on those who happen to be in his way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Interesting way to phrase that. To let daylight out. Yeah. Oh my god. So he's let just, daylight out on anyone that gets in his he, way. I'm gonna start using that. Yeah, he's like he's Homer Simpsoning this gun around town. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. just oh my god. Just this is oh, he is so ir- it's coffee he's, with two sugars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on June 12th, uh, 1886, uh, Charlie Sweetie would hit rock bottom. And I should note, this is for his baseball career, because as a person, he has such a long way to fall. Um, so Char- Sweeney set an MLB record that still stands to this day, giving up seven home runs to the Detroit Wolverines in a single game. <laughs> wow. Think of the context. I'm surprised that's still a record. People have given up six. Lots of people have given up six. No one's given up seven. Six, okay. They, they, just, won't let you in. they just won't leave you in anymore to suffer the embarrassment of breaking. No, right no. Your, your manager would get crucified if, if you gave up even four home runs. I was going still. for a record, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but honestly, uh, yeah, no, it was. And think of, once again, we've talked about the dead ball, like, Everything about this is is ridiculous uh, that this mm-hmm. record still stands. So this is, once again, when I say good and bad, he set two records that one has been broken, but it stood for a hundred years, and this one is still standing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I believe three pitchers gave up. That's a note I have here. Three pitchers have given up six home runs in, in one game, but right. Sweeney's still the only one with seven. So very shortly after this game, Charlie Sweeney walked into the clubhouse, and on his dressing case, the words. Charles Deadarm Sweeney were written. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. They're trying to send him cryptic messages. Yeah, so this was a practical joke, apparently, but this practical joke would end Sweeney's MLB career. The following day, Thomas Dolan, who was the team's catcher and apparently Sweeney's drinking buddy, had Thomas Hamfat Dolan written on his case. So some prankster is going around. It's a serial. Uh... Yeah. Locker Carver. Exactly, exactly. 
Um, so Sweeney called Dolan ham or they run. So on the field, Sweeney and Dolan have a bit of a run in. And in this case, Sweeney, uh, calls Dolan ham fat and Dolan mutters something <laughs> about Sweeney having a dead arm. Oh yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yes. So throughout the day, uh, they taunted each other and continued to jaw back and forth. Sweeney taunted Dolan for having seven pass balls in a game, and Dolan basically responded with, shut the fuck up, you literally gave up seven home runs in one game. <laughs> so, Fair enough. Yeah, the next day at the Union Grounds during practice, things came to a head. Dolan confronted Sweeney, and Sweeney suggested they go under the clubhouse and or under in the cellar under the clubhouse and fight. As so, they always do. Everyone goes under the stands to fight back well, in these days. Well, yeah. that's, that's yeah. you know, you got to be gentlemanly and private about your affairs. That's so, right. yeah. Um, so while Sweeney and Dolan began to fight with an audience of teammates Jack Glasscock and Henry Boyle, as well as a groundskeeper named Bill Richards, <laughs> someone alerted the manager, Gus Schmelz, yelling, Fight! Dolan! Sweeney! Cellar! <laughs> <laughs> Um, Only the words that are necessary. (laughs) So, um, Schmelz was pissed. uh, So he actually releases both Sweeney and Dolan, or he finds them first, and then the team decides that they're going to release both players for ungentlemanly conduct. Uh, And the funny part was, neither one of them was actually the guy writing graffiti on... No. <laughs> yeah. oh, I thought that's what you were going. No, was so it was actually... another prankster that I couldn't find out who it was, but but it was it was verified. They they both claimed that neither one of them would. Well, why would they write on their own case as well, right? Mm. Like it was yeah. just, it was somebody being like prodding, and then they came together. Like, see that and like, damn, that's a pretty good insult. I'm gonna use that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like that's when we got to bring back. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is basically the beginning of the end for for Sweetie's major league career. Uh, his arm is dead, and they offer him a contract. Actually, uh, they 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 kick him off the team, but they offer him a contract as an outfielder. Uh, but the pay was half. It was fifteen hundred as opposed to three thousand. So he isn't salted. He rejects it, uh, and he's released by the team. Uh, and Sweeney does what Sweeney does. Uh, he takes his gun and he goes drinking. Uh huh. I thought you were going to say. So uh, I found, I'm not sure if the St. Louis Dispatch or St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I should say, uh, just ran a sporting news article or if the sporting news ran a dispatch article. But I found multiple quotes uh, that were attributed to both. So I'm just going to kind of attribute this both to the St. Louis Dispatch or Post-Dispatch and the sporting news. uh, Because they have a really, really great account of uh, this incident saying, and I quote, the hands on the big clock on the wall pointed to the hour of two, and the bartender <laughs> thought it was time his congregation dispersed and meandered homeward. Charlie Sweeney was among the number, uh, and he rather r- objected to leaving the place in that early hour. All right. The early hour of two. Yeah, of two. Yeah, it's, it's or what? I'm drinking. <laughs> Leave I, me alone. Last call's not late enough in this town. <laughs> so, here's my gun. Yeah. 
Well, so Sweeney's ushered out of the bar, and he did not like this. So I'll continue from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He drew the revolver, which he carried about him lately, and made an attack on the front door. In a moment, pistol shots (laughs) seemed to be coming from every direction. The bullets, however, all came from Charlie's favorite weapon. Sweeney emptied his revolver and then reloaded and emptied it again. (laughs) So he is shooting into this bar. There are people still inside this bar. Um, Luckily, nobody is hit by the 14 bullets he shoots into this bar. (laughs) That's a miracle. He's holding a revolver. He reloads at least twice. (laughs) So, like, what are the odds that no one got hit? Well, like, uh, well it's just so fluky. Well, everybody had been cleared out other than the staff, but the staff right. were jumping out the back windows, literally, yeah. you know, diving for cover, everything. It's as chaotic as you think it would be. Uh, yeah. Right? It's two in the morning. It's probably a quiet night as well. Like, uh, it's just mm-hmm. absolutely chaos. So, <laughs> to finish, and I quote, in the coolest manner possible, Sweetie put his revolver in his pocket, laughed, and walked away. <laughs> if he wasn't such an asshole, it almost would sound like a cool cowboy thing to do. <laughs> yes. But, except for it's completely unjustified. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They were like, hey, it's 2 a.m., stop drinking. And he was like, I'm going to shoot you. It's like, listen, yeah. my revolver has something to say about this. <laughs> I'm going to attack your front door. Yeah. yeah. So Sweeney somehow just leaves town after this. Once again, you could get away with anything. Right. <laughs> uh, and and he signed with the Syracuse yeah. Stars of the International League, which is basically AAA. Uh, he pitched on July 15th and 23rd. Uh, and even with lesser talented or in a lesser talent pool, like a lesser league, uh, he lost 16-5 and 12-3. His Oof. arm was toast and he headed back to California thinking a long rest could revitalize his arm. Uh, His arm was still not great, but the Cleveland Blues, which somehow were still around, but this time in the American Association, uh, asked him to play first base in the 1887 season. He hit well, but his play on the field was far from perfect. Sweeney was asked to pitch again in May, and they made a big announcement that his return was coming to the mound. And on Saturday, May 14th, uh, 1887, he gave up just four runs early to second place Brooklyn, uh, but then held them to only one run over the last few innings. So the team lost five to four, but that's against a good, you know, a good team in a good league. So, oh my goodness, maybe he's back. Uh, So they started (laughs) paying him for his pitching as well. And Cleveland definitely wished they saved his money, their money, because, yeah, his next start against the Philadelphia Athletics, he surrenders er, 17 singles, three doubles, five triples, and they lose 13 to six. A week later, the results were even worse. He allowed 23 hits in an 18 to two loss. So his pitching career is done. Nobody wants to touch him now. He's 23 years old, I think. Uh, uh, and he's not hitting well either. He had just eight extra base hits in 150 plate appearances. Uh, and for some reason, the nail in his coffin, he's not a great fielder. He plays first base and in, in outfield. But for some reason, the coach needs a guy, and they move the regular shortstop to second base and put Sweeney at shortstop. Oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah. That seems seems good. Like you don't put a first idea. baseman at shortstop. No, and and especially he... one as drunk as Sweeney. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. um, in what the Cleveland leader described as an inexcusable muff, 
Uh, Sweeney made an error which allowed three runs to score, and, and Cleveland lost the game. And that was it. I'm, to be fair to him, I'm going to put this one on the manager. Oh. Like, don't, don't put this guy at shortstop. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. His, his arm's dead. Where should we put him? Ah, yeah. Maybe at shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> He's a shit defender, and his arm is dead. Yeah. Let's try him at shortstop. Um, so, yeah. And then, but that's it. That's it. He's done. Uh, his short career... Uh, this is a five-year career where he played in 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 a major league. Uh, he's done. Uh, so from age twenty to twenty-two, he was one of the best pitchers in the game. And even if you add his twenty-three and twenty-four-year seasons where his arm was was dead and he probably needed Tommy John, uh, Sweeney pitched over one thousand thirty innings to an ERA of two point eight seven. So yeah, I mean those one thousand thirty innings are not doing his. exactly so i mean at the time that actually doesn't you know if i want to get baseball nerdy about it that's not like a great era plus uh but his era plus in those first three years was spectacular but anyways uh he returned to cali and and played for uh teams in the california league and he even umped for a brief period which is also weird because if we remember he was banned from the california league six years ago (laughs) (laughs) he's banned as a player Yeah, but he, he plays a little bit. He umps a little bit. But this is where we really, uh, yeah, this is where we really get off the baseball tracks and into a different part of his life, which is, gen- like, this is this is the most, oh, we're talking about a bad person podcast that we're going to, well, no, there's worse. Actually, I got lots of worse <laughs> in, my, in my tool belt here, but this is pretty bad. So uh, let's start in an exhibition game in 1887. Uh, uh, he did not take kindly to a visiting New York giant player going deep off of him. So it's a winter exhibition. Uh, you know, national league teams are coming out to California to, to get some sunshine and play some games. Uh, somebody takes Sweeney deep, maybe, maybe, you know, they, uh, do a bat flip or something or the 1880s equivalent of a bat flip. Stare it, pimp it, stare it off of it. So, uh, the next day the player mysteriously fled town. Uh Uh-oh. So, Uh-oh. yeah, no, that's very ominous. Yes, it like is. It. Okay. So what the story is, like, he's fine. He's fine. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But what the story is, is, is apparently Sweeney, uh, accosted the man later that day off the field and the man beat the living shit out of Sweeney and Sweeney basically said, I'm going to get my gun and say. you're going to fucking eat a lot of lead. <laughs> so the man the New York giant jumped on the first train he could (laughs) and got the hell out of Dodge. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, it would have been, it's so hard to hit a home run then too. Like you have to be quite a bad pitcher. Yes. And he is, he's (laughs) terrible (laughs) at this point. Um, so as we can tell, Sweeney's very much like his dad and he followed in his father's footsteps and became a drunk police officer too. Oh, good. 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 Yeah, this is going to go well. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it does kind of go well because he was so drunk that that he got fired pretty quickly. Um, (laughs) It's any consolation. Our definition of what a good result is, is downhill. Yeah, yeah. But (laughs) but let's just say this also allows him to to really, you know, get into uh, the underworld of San Francisco. Uh, so I kind of mentioned to you guys that, that 
maybe watch Gangs of New York by Martin Scorsese to get ready for this one. Because mm-hmm. yeah, honestly, yeah. that is the best equivalency I got. And I had no idea this story was going this far. I thought this was it. He got drunk. You know, he had a five-year brilliant career and it ended and something bad happened after. But it wasn't like this. So <laughs> he's he's running a bar as well. He's a drunk police officer. He's running a bar called The Battery which is an awesome baseball player name for a bar in San Francisco. I think there's an area of San Francisco maybe called the Battery, but I'm going to take it as a baseball reference. Um, uh, Anyway, so uh, he's doing that uh, along with a a fellow ball player named James McDonald. Uh, Sweeney would actually marry McDonald's sister, Jenny, at this time, and, and the couple would have a son. So he's an alcoholic, tries being a police officer, is running a bar, just becomes running a bar. But he's sliding into the underworld. And as an ex-police officer and an ex-baseball player, this was the perfect combination for a San Francisco gangster named King McManus. So King McManus uh, had a brother named Cornelius, uh, who we will call Con, because everybody called him Con. He was a baseball player himself before joining his brother's gang. So I couldn't verify this. I, I try to verify from a couple sources uh, generally when I'm writing a script, but I, I'm kind of assuming that Cornelius and, and Sweeney ended up in the same spaces because they were ball players. And then he's like, hey, my brother's got a gang, and I hear you like shooting people. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a drunk with a gun? Yeah. I got a job for you. Yeah. So, um, brandishing a gun is one of our main things. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do best. It sounds like you'll be an all star on our team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Frank King McManus was an Irish gangster and was known as King of Port, uh, of Patrero Hill, about 10 square blocks known as the Irish Hill in San Francisco. Present day, it would be located uh, at the western edge of the Bay Bridge, if, if you guys have been to mm, San Francisco. Okay. Um, so basically, uh, we're talking about some serious gangs of New York shit. So this is uh, 18, late 1880s, early 1890s at this point. Uh, so about, you know, 20, 30 years. But this is the same kind of gangs that, that any urban area had. Um, they were mostly ethnic, uh, Irish or Italian or whatever. But for the most part, they were also political. They were super political. They were aligned with politics. And they beat the shit out of you if you didn't vote for the people they told you to vote for. <laughs> right. Okay. right. Yeah. So um, in this neighborhood, Irish Hill... Uh, McManus was known as the king. So uh, he had a black bear that he tied up in his backyard and he would use like a it. a literal black bear? A black bear. A living creature. Uh, you power know, move. Power move. Uh, he had a that black bear. Yeah. And uh, he'd use it to intimidate his opponents, but also sometimes bring it to the bar and get it drunk. And wrestle with it. As you do. Yes. So also, uh, you know, he's a... He's a tavern owner, this King McManus guy, and uh, Sweeney would work for him as a bodyguard, but also, you know, in his bars and, as well uh, as, a, as a bartender. Uh, so this, uh, yeah, basically, I think it's about 1890, 1891, uh, a faction of Democrats, so uh, the McManus boys were Republicans, a faction of Democrats led by the Welch brothers 
arrived from New York. So these are Irish immigrants that, you know, cut their teeth gangs of New York style, and now they're coming to San Francisco, and they're wanting to take over McManus's territory. Okay. So, and they're going to go well. Yeah, and they're politically opposed, right? They, right. they are, you know, no matter whether it was just they didn't care what party they were in, they just wanted power, or, or they actually care about stuff. I'm going to say they just wanted power. Um, so, Probably. yeah. Uh, so they challenged the McManus crew, basically, during uh, the 1891 primary. Uh, and this was known as the Blue Mud Wars. So... Hmm. All right. In a very, very, uh, once again, Gangs of New York, if you want some imagery here, a over 100 men gathered for a brawl in one instance. So This is fucking chaos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's mainly fists and knives, but, you know, it's just absolutely... Bars at this time had a little boxing ring that you could challenge somebody to fight in. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a really violent, violent... That's like, I think I sent out a tweet when I was writing this. I'm like, I don't know how our great-great-great-grandparents survived this era. <laughs> yeah, I, seem like I mean, fighting. that's why the, like, most people live to, like, 50, you yes. know what I mean, as opposed to now. Yes. Probably because it was just such a big part of your yeah. existence. Yeah, so the, yeah. De the Democrats, the Welch brothers, they actually come out on top, uh, at least politically, uh, but the McManus crew would not accept defeat. And once again, Sweeney's with the McManus crew. Uh, th right. This yeah. culminated in the McManus brothers ambushing Jack Welch, pulling him from his carriage, and Con stabbing him several times. Jack Welch pulled a gun out and shot Con three times. Both men were seriously wounded, but they weren't dead. So, Jesus Christ. Yes, I told you there'd be violence. So, Frank shot three times in the 1890s and not die is almost a miracle. <laughs> That's horrific sound. What are the odds it happens twice? Pretty good by your tone. <laughs> no, no, no. I think Sean's... Anyways. Well, we, yep, so... That's more. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> both... So so Frank McManus, once again, the, the gangster Frank McManus, is, is furious uh, with the wounded Welch, even though, you know, he's like, I'm mad at you because I tried to kill you and you shot my brother. <laughs> um, so he tries to attack Welch in his hospital bed. But there are police stationed outside the hospital room door... And, you know, don't allow Frank McManus to finish Jack Welch off. So I hope this ends like the Joker in the Batman movie where oh, he dresses up as a nurse. Oh. <laughs> I was no. thinking when Stone Cold Steve Austin attacked Vince McMahon. Oh. Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> Hits him with the bedpan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll take it from here, nurse. How does wrestling always jump into this podcast? It's me. I know. Uh, I, I'm like, the funny thing is I can actually picture what you're saying, so I think I've seen that clip. Uh, so, so this is the best part. So Con McManus recovers from his wounds of getting shot three times again, right in time to get shot again three times by our protagonist, Charlie Sweeney. <laughs> Charlie and his gun. He's been shot six times. Yes. So on June 14th, 1894, a couple years later, uh, Khan confronted Sweeney at a saloon on 3rd Street where Swe Sweeney worked as a bartender. And that was owned by King McManus. So Khan clearly didn't understand how trigger happy and drunk <laughs> Charlie Sweeney was. <laughs> so it's unclear what the argument was about. I couldn't, I, in lots of things, but it sounded like Khan was the instigator of the physical fight. Uh, not that 
weird in these days for somebody to get physical. But by the sounds of it, Sweeney got beat up pretty bad. Uh, and during the beating, Sweeney pulled out his gun and shot Con McManus three times. Jesus Christ. Yes. I mean, I don't think there needs much provocation for Sweeney to pull out the gun and shoot someone. <laughs> no. Yes. So... Once again, um, Con McManus was was injured and in the hospital, but he would only he would only last about a day. Uh, Con McManus would die of his wounds, and the San Francisco Chronicle said when Sweeney was informed the following day that the victim was dead, he broke down and wept bitterly. So he interesting is sad, maybe because he killed somebody, but more likely. Because he knows Frank McManus is definitely going to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is I don't yeah, know. I, don't think he cares, uh, I killed but... the wrong guy. Yeah, drunken stupor. Yeah, like any yeah. peaky blinders. Now it's his turn to get on the, the train. Yeah, this yeah. is this is you know um, yeah. So uh, so and Frank did try to kill Sweeney right away. Yes, just right away. Uh, in fact, he yeah. showed up to the prison because Sweeney had shot somebody. So Sweeney was in prison, unlike last time where he shot nobody, so no harm, no foul. <laughs> or all yeah. the times he just brandished his weapon. Yeah. It's not illegal to shoot a door. <laughs> the door might have said something to him. Anyways, this time yeah. it was a person, and the person was dead. So Sweeney's in jail. Uh, Frank McManus shows up to the prison and demands to see Sweeney. <laughs> so he's refused... <laughs> And once again tries to beat the shit out of police officers to get at the man that shot his brother. Um, Trying so, to beat his way into prison. Yes, yes. That's how much of a lunatic this man was. Yeah. Um, so Sweeney managed not to be killed. But for the first time in his life, Charles Sweeney was facing some very serious legal uh, troubles. Uh, so Sweeney was charged uh, not with murder, but with voluntary manslaughter in the death of Con McManus and was held without <laughs> bail. His trial began in October uh, of that year, uh, and his defense was pretty, you know, stand your groundish. Uh, you know, he attacked me. I was in a fight, and the prosecution basically said, "Bullshit! You're a drunk asshole that pulls your gun on everybody." <laughs> First time we, we've seen you spinning it around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. At the same point, King McManus is definitely telling anybody that if they you know, uh, are a witness on Sweeney's behalf that they'll end up in the San Francisco Bay. Uh, there's no doubt about this. Uh, so he's strong arming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on the stand, Sweeney's primary witness though, uh, completely reverses what he told police in July, claiming that King McManus had forced (laughs) him to lie at first. So, yeah. So still, even with, you know, a key witness being like, no, this guy threatened to kill me if I didn't testify against my friend. Uh, The jury still finds uh, Sweeney guilty. And the judge said Sweeney had failed to prove it to be 100% self-defense. But he only sends Sweeney to eight years. But that eight years is in San Quentin prison. So, oof. Yeah. 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 So he... very tough time to be there. Yeah, 1894, November 1894. That's when he starts his uh, his uh, prison stint there. So Sweeney would petition uh, to be released based on irregularities at his trial, uh, which, yeah. 
And California, or California Governor uh, James Budd quietly commuted Sweeney's sentence uh, based upon many issues of impropriety during the trial. But this is a few years later, so he was in jail for a while. Uh, so he's released from prison in March 1st, uh, 1898, after serving just over three years. Luckily for Sweeney, King McManus had died a couple years earlier. <laughs> so while he's in prison, King McManus dies, and he can just be... Uh, a free man without worrying about revenge. What a relief. Yeah. He quite literally dodged that bullet. Yes. A hundred percent. Quite uh, literally. So Sweeney's a free man now, and he gets back on the baseball field as an umpire in the California League. Um, oh, man. Yeah, but this story is, is, is coming to an end, and it's not a happy ending, because uh, prison didn't seem to reform Charlie Sweeney in any way whatsoever. Uh, in August... Yeah, go go figure. Prison just locking yeah. somebody up like an animal doesn't doesn't make them a better person. Weird. Especially in San Quentin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On an island, you know, just oh. It, anyways, so in August, uh, as an umpire, he got into an argument in a game in Fresno against Santa Cruz, uh, or, or a game in which Santa Cruz played Fresno. It's unclear exactly what happened, so I read a whole bunch of different reports. Uh, one report says he beat up the Fresno manager, another claimed that he hit a <laughs> fan, yet another one said it was Fresno catcher who he had given a beat down to. Um, whatever the case, uh, he made a run for it and hopped on a train running from the police. <laughs> Yes, uh, but he was arrested 90 miles from town and returned to Fresno to face trial. Now, this is the part that I cannot substantiate in any way, because he really falls off the map af after this. This is the last big incident I could find. Um, but I did read, read one account uh, where it said Sweeney and the Fresno sheriff ended up getting drunk together a few days later, and Sweeney ended up escaping when they were both drunk. <laughs> Shock I me. used to be a cop. I used to be a cop. I used you can to, trust yeah, me. Exactly. You can trust me. Let's have a drink, yeah. buddy. Yeah. And and a we're of the same elk. Yeah. The sheriff wanted to hear baseball stories about like old Haas and all the famous baseball stars and the totally. I didn't even think about that. That oh yeah, that's a, <laughs> definitely what happened more or less. Yeah. Um, I think but, so. But uh, so even though his alcoholism seemed to be a little bit of a superpower, it was actually you know the end. So. His hard-living, hard-drinking, hard-throwing lifestyle uh, would not be a long one. Uh, a few years later, in his late 30s, his body began to fail him from all the abuse. And on February 11th, 1902, the San Francisco Chronicle reported that a 38-year-old Sweeney was hospitalized in the final stages of consumption. Two, yeah. Two months later, April 4th, uh, the pitching legend Charlie Sweeney died just nine days before his 39th birthday. Yeah, it's pretty that's, young, uh, and that's not surprising at all, based on the life that Charlie Sweeney lived. <laughs> when you live that hard, that young, yeah, that long, I mean, you're just not meant to be around long in this world. Like, yeah, you just can't can't go on forever. Hard so it's drinking, hard wins. fighting, hard gun twirling. Yeah, you were a you were a uh, a spaceball superstar. You were a or you were a big prospect. You were a superstar for a couple of years. Then you were a, a, a kind of a, whatever, a, a travel, you know, what's the word baseball guys come on? Barnstormer? Out? No, not a barnstormer. A, a guy in later in his career that, that is just making the round. Journeyman? A journeyman. Thank journeyman, you. Journeyman, yeah. Yes. Um, 
And then he becomes a cop and then a gangster's bodyguard and kills his brother. And, like, holy it's, crap. It's the wildest timeline, like, I think we've done so far. No, it absolutely... I thought I thought Gus Greenlee was was, was going to be, like, one of the, the most interesting lives. But, oh, my goodness, this is... This was just... It took me to places I didn't expect it to go. And I will say a caveat is, is he died of tuberculosis, I think it was. But, I mean, he got tuberculosis in jail. When, or, sorry, in the hospital when he was in the hospital because his body was failing him from alcohol consumption. So it's, right. a, it's a, you know, every, you know, uh, saying he died of tuberculosis is a little bit undercutting it. Maybe yeah. the hospital screwed up and probably gave him tuberculosis, but he was not doing well. He probably wrote his name. <laughs> one interesting thing. One interesting thing I want to add is as you were saying that I looked it up, the average, what do you think the average life expectancy was in the U S for a male in 1900? 54. 59. 46.3. No! He did not die that young compared to the average life expectancy in the U.S. at that time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Considering how hard he lived. Yeah. Yeah. Considering his lifestyle, but I think it's interesting that, you know, less than 10 years before the average life expectancy. So, and I mean, to live that hard, but... At the same time, maybe everybody was living that hard. Like, well, I, not, I maybe not that hard, but <laughs> certainly harder than we do today. Uh, everybody, everybody was was pitching six hundred <laughs> innings and <laughs> twirling guns and drinking a pint a day of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man! But I think it's interesting that like it sounds so young, but in in that time, it was not as young as it certainly would be now for someone to die at thirty nine or thirty eight. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't think old Haas made it that, that far after that either. He no. was, he died pretty yes. young too. I mean, the 1880s was, or the 1880s, 1890s in general, just absolutely wild. I can't, I could, I didn't expect that, that story to take it. I knew you, uh, I found it a through Ed's doing the episode and then finding out, Oh, he killed somebody. So it was like more or less like, Oh, you know, like baseball player kills. Him. I didn't know it was going to be like a, a, a tale of, of, you know, all this like uh, yeah. pissing off the biggest gangster in San Francisco and and you know Democrat versus Republican hundred people brawls <laughs> like just yeah wild and it's stuff. so fascinating to think about like the context of baseball with organized crime like there's all that oh, like, yeah. monster of a history there and like you see pieces of a beginning even here and then like by 1919 you've got the Black Sox thing and oh I'm sure there's a lot more after that so yeah well thank you. So much for joining us, Sean. Uh, once again, where where can people find you on Twitter and on Substack? We highly recommend you 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 sign up. Uh, honestly, one a great writer uh, and 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 just loves the game and and has some great takes on the game. So where can they find you? Well, thank you so much for that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at junk underscore baller b a l l e r, or you can follow me on Substack or subscribe to my newsletter at junkballloversclub.substack.com. All right. Great. Uh, like I said, everybody go ahead and sign up. I'm going to do it as soon as we get off the phone. <laughs> awesome. the phone? We're on the phone. I just picture you having like a landline yeah. when people say, maybe we're old. We're all born in the same year. That's yeah. why we, we found that out right before this podcast. Yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you so much. Uh, before we go, follow us on Twitter at doing baseball. Edzy. Instagram at doing dot baseball. Yeah, I am Sean do baseball. You are Ed's do baseball. That's right. So give us a review. Give us a listen. Give us a rating. All of that stuff. Please. And thank you. Uh, 
we're here doing our baseball history thing. Opening day! Opening days this week, guys! Woo! All right, until next mm-hmm. time. Until next time. Uh, I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And he's Sean. That's right. I'm also Sean. <laughs> thanks, Sean. thanks so much, Sean. Uh, baseball. We're doing the baseball. Take care. Bye. Baseball.